What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everyone. J.J. Cooper, Josh Norris joining you on a, uh, a pro-scouting Baseball America podcast or a lack of, pro, of in-person pro-scouting podcast. That's what we're going to talk about today. Today, the, the news came out, one we've been reporting about for, for a while, but the decision came down today, first reported by Ken Rosenthal. I think uh, Josh and I both have confirmed it with, I, I don't even want to know how many people at this point, a lot, that there will not be, at least to start the season, in-person pro scouting at Major League Games, and to include with that, and at uh, uh, the the taxi squad sites, the alternate sites either. So there will not be in-person pro scouting at MLB, either obviously in these inner squads, there hasn't been at these inner squads so far, but also come July 23rd when the season begins, at least for the time being, there will not be in-person pro scouting. And Major League Baseball is saying that there is the possibility that they could uh, change that, reinvestigate it later on. The, the message seems to be right now, Let's get the season started. Let's get it going. And then we can kind of look back at this and, and decide later on. Um, from our reporting, there was a general manager's discussion on this. And the way I've had it described to me by multiple people who were aware of those conversations was that no consensus was able to be reached in those as far as whether GMs want to have in-person pro scouting or not. So Josh, I'll start with where you, this is a podcast, so I will ask your opinion a little bit. Were you surprised by this decision at all? And no. having now talked to a plethora of pro scouts, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll ask you, what are you hearing from them about their reaction to this decision? Well, they're not happy. Uh, I'll tell you that, you know, I wasn't surprised at all, you know, as each day kind of passed and there was no decision on it. And in some cases, it sounds like it wasn't even discussed at whatever meetings were had. Uh, it seemed like the possibility was less and less likely because you would need to, I think you'd need to get guys tested. Uh, and then you'd have to get them to their various sites um, and then get them ready to go. It could be done fairly quickly, but, you know, we have a week to go. And this is, uh, this is the first we heard uh, officially that they weren't going to be allowed to do their jobs. So uh, a lot of them are, um, you know, upset that they're not going to be in person, you know, being able to do their jobs to the, what they believe is the best of their abilities. They are instead going to be watching MLB TV or, you know, uh, some other TV feed of, of their games for the teams that they're going to cover. And they're going to be trying to suss it out that way. That means you're, you know, through relying on uh, the radar readings uh, on the little score bugs. You're relying on whichever camera angle. Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go beyond that. It's also the the MLB feeds that they get that are not just the what you see on TV and the data that you get that's not just on TV. Correct? Okay, I I think. I mean, I yeah, I no, it is, it is. Yes, it uh, is. There are multiple feeds. They get opens. They get. I, I don't want to make it sound like they're just relying on what you're getting on uh, on Fox Sports, whatever, whatever. Or they they do get the feeds for MLB teams for games is 
much more expansive than that. I should make we should make that clear. And either way, you're not you're not going to get everything that you want out of that game, and and they're um, you know they're not happy about it, uh, especially be considering you know in person scouting hasn't stopped uh, during this pandemic. If you go to uh, an amateur showcase or event, amateur scouts are out there in person, and that's obviously because you know they're not at MLB facilities, so you can't really uh, police those. Um, but yeah, it's it's universally negative this morning. But uh, expected. Nobody I don't that I talked to thought, oh yeah, we're definitely going to get to go out there and do our jobs and you know, uh, continue to make ourselves useful. Uh, no one really had a whole lot of optimism. No, we we were definitely hearing we there were moments of slight optimism over the last couple of weeks that maybe this would happen, but overall it's been kind of a, a pretty pessimistic. Uh, viewpoint among pro scouts, pro scouting directors. And I, I do think that that's something that's notable. We, we mentioned it in your story up at baseballamerica.com that you can read, people can read is MLB, when it comes to pro scouting, this has been kind of a long running blind spot for Major League Baseball. When I say Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball, the, the offices in New York that run Major League Baseball. And, and the point I make by this is, is in March, like you said, there was in March when the coronavirus fully hit, pro scouts were the first that were pulled. While games were still going on in spring training, teams were required to pull pro scouts from those games, even though the games were continuing. Eventually, they shut down spring training, but pro scouts were pulled off before the spring training games were, were stopped. But then that's kind of the last time that they've really been addressed in all this. In March, the, the edict came down that in-person amateur scouting and in-person international scouting was to cease. When the draft, after the draft, the edict came down that in-person amateur scouting was allowed again, that in-person scouting internationally was still not allowed because of coronavirus. Pro scouting was left out of that. Like, as your story touches on, there's kind of this in-between world right now. There are pro games, games with minor league baseball prospects, games with released players who may have the quality to be 60-man roster player pool quality, who those are going on in the American Association, in the Skeeters League, in you know other you know in the Chicago area. There, there's a lot of games going on out there of varying qualities at the pro level. Technically, I, I would say in absence of a ban, and there are scouts who are going to these games, pro scouts going to these games. Major League Baseball just never has never actually said one way or another whether pro scouts are allowed to scout these games, which is kind of a kind of a blind spot in some ways, I would say. And that fits with the fact, though, that that you hear it from multiple pro scouts, pro scouting directors. There's not a, a there is kind of a, a structure at Major League Baseball when it comes to amateur scouting when it comes to international scouting, 
but there's not the same thing when it comes to professional scouting. There's no real point person. There's no organization to kind of funnel uh, information from, from, uh, you know, from pro scouting director, from pro scouts to major league baseball. There's, these are kind of things that, that probably should exist, but, but right now they don't, right, Josh? Right. They're just, I think the, the biggest thing, even more so than um, the decision this morning is the lack of communication uh, throughout all of this. Like I have a couple scouts who text me every day, every single day to see if, you know, I'd heard anything about their job. And that idea is farcical to me. Like the fact that I wouldn't be asking them about what they're about to do or are going to be able to do is just, it, it doesn't make any sense. They should be getting their orders from their GM or their pro scouting director. They shouldn't have to be refreshing Twitter to see my tweets or your tweets or Ken Rosenthal's tweets to find out if they're going to be able to do their jobs this summer. And you know, a lot of them found out this way. I know a couple who found out last night from their guys, but I know some today who found out when they checked Twitter. And I mean, that's, I can't uh, figure that out or I can't see that as anything more than a slap in the face. And frankly, there were some who uh, early in the cycle thought they were going to be doing uh, their jobs at, at ballparks just like normal because someone tweeted it. The, the communication or, and, or lack thereof has been stunning on the part of MLB. And, you know, a lot of them uh, have kind of texted me the same idea that mascots know what their regulations are going to be, and we don't know ours. Media okay. knows, and we don't know ours. Okay, Josh, I got to ask you, how many times, because it's been a constant with me, how many different pro scouts have suggested to you that they're happily They'll happily wear the mascot costume if it means that they can scout. I have not had anyone do that yet, but I I've had at least five. One, I've had I at know, least five. Well, so weird brag, weird flex. But <laughs> I do know I, I do know one who has mascot experience. So in front of the line. Um, but yeah, that's the point. I mean, it, that if if there's a place where somehow they allow fans, well, then scouts are going to buy tickets. Um, that's, it's really as simple as that, but they do make the point that, okay, um, they, they are, there is as low contact job as, as you could possibly have. Uh, you can put on a mask, you can distance. If there's 30 of them in a place that seats 30,000, they can pretty much distance and the radar guns will still work and the stopwatches will still work. And they're not down after they re-in talking to the players. They're not, you know, Oh, again, like there's absolutely you could make those things where none of that is allowed. Right. You could you could do that very easily. It'd be about the safest group of people, I think, uh, to do their jobs at a ballpark right now. And it's just not going to happen because uh, MLB decided to kick the can down the road a little longer. So I, I would say that we've basically gotten three reasons why this decision happened as it did. Decision one, which you just kind of touched on a little bit, is health and safety. Right. And, and I had a pro scouting director in all this say, should, is it even ethical to, to send guys on the road? Because there are, you know, the pro scouting is a wide demographic of ages and backgrounds and health statuses. 
Is it even ethical to be asking them to do that? And that's a fair question. This is a pandemic. A big overarching question over the whole season is, should we be doing this? But we've decided we will be doing this. So uh, that's well, that's Well, fair. with that, okay, with the health and safety. Really, when we're talking about health and safety, it is not about whether it is the health of the scouts. Because if that was the case, there would not be in-person amateur scouts. These MLB events are safer for the scout than going to an amateur event at which there is no testing, no screening, and in some cases, no social distancing and very little mask wear. So from the health of the scouts, that's not a logical reason. There's an inconsistency. And again, as we note, as of right now, scouts are essentially because of a gray area allowed to scout pro games other than major league baseball. But I will say the health and safety aspect of this is not necessarily as much the health and safety of the scouts. It is, can the scouts be there without adding to the risk of players and coaches contracting coronavirus? Because not that they don't care about the health and safety of the scouts, but MLB's overarching concern here is, can we get a 2020 season complete? And anything that ups the risk of a 2020 season not being completed because of coronavirus is something that they're going to be concerned about. However, as you laid out, pro scouting is probably one of the safest things you can do with this. And it is hard, and I've asked people, it's hard to find a reason why we're reporters, but it's hard to find a reason why we can go to a game as a reporter, sit far removed, from the field, and that would be an acceptable risk, but a pro scout doing the same thing, again, sitting at far removed from the field, is not okay to be at a game. And again, the, the other thing I thought about is, is I was watching a game, uh, an inner squad, and you saw front office officials, trainers, other people in the stands watching the game. You would need to set up structures where you said pro scouts you are only allowed in sections 102 and 104 or whatever it is and then down the line you're allowed in section this and section that this is the bathrooms that you can use which are not allowed to be used by tier one and tier two personnel if you're at a field where there's an upper and lower pro scouts you've got to go up or you've got to go down probably up tier one tier two personnel if you're in the stands you have to go down we're going to keep you separated so you do not cross, so there's not interaction. Those are all things that can be set up to be done. But I think we both agree, like, that while there's health and safety component to this, part two of why there is not a consensus on this is financial. Mm -hmm. If you allow pro scouting, there are teams who would face the choice of either having to rehire pro scouts who they have furloughed or continuing to not pay them even though they have a job to do. Or Which, the ones that still have scouts employed would be paying mileage and whatever travel. per diem they get, any, any kind of travel. Hotel? I don't, know, I don't know about hotels because I think, uh, I think the rules would be in place that you have to be drivable and you can't stay overnight. But uh, yeah, I know you that could, some scouts... 
I think you, I, thought, I, thought, I thought those are the rules were in place for amateur guys. But the, the point is, I think there would be some scouts who would be shut out regardless. Like, if you or I were pro scouts. But that, that is not probably, the rule for amateur scouts, by the way. Is it not? Mm -hmm. That's how I heard it, but, you know, I could be wrong. A, a scouting director can go to a game. It does not have to be within a drivable distance. It is maximum three, which I have heard of. I have heard rumblings of teams having more than three in an event from multiple scouts, which, again, you know, scouts who are – they're like, wait, I'm pretty sure I saw more than three from that team or whatever. But, but sorry, I, you know, but yes, like, there, but there would be travel cost of some sort involved, obviously, in addition to salary. So there would be a financial component. And on that financial component, I know no other way to define it other than you could summarize it as there are teams who don't want to spend that money, but also want to make sure that other teams who are willing to spend that money aren't allowed to spend that money and thereby gain potentially a competitive advantage. Sure. They want to compete, but they don't want to open their wallets to do so. It's really simple. And it's a thread that's, this is just the, the latest part of the thread that's been running its way through the sport over the last few years or so. There are certain clubs who do not want to uh, put the effort and the time and the money and the manpower in to making their team as good as possible, but they also don't want to see other teams flex their muscle and use their manpower to do the same thing. They don't want to see a team with multiple complex league teams when they only have one or zero, and the answer isn't to them, well, we should at a complex league team or at a second, it's no, they shouldn't be allowed to have their second. No competitive advantages for anyone uh, so long as it would mean they would have to open their wallet. And that was the third the part I was gonna say, kind of fits with what you just said there, which is there are teams who do not plan to have in-person pro scouting this year because of, philosophically that's not what they do. There are two components of this. I, I should divide. When we talk about pro scouting here, like I got feedback today that said the alternate site scouting is more difficult from a health and safety perspective. The pushback I got on that is, is not that it would not be valuable for scouts to scout that, but the pushback was some of these sites are smaller. Some of these sites, it would be more difficult to ensure that there is not cross-contamination between scouts and tier one, tier two people, which tier one, tier two are, according to the health and safety manual that the MLB's put out, are the people, the players, the coaches, the trainers who are regularly tested, who are kind of in this semi-bubble, who are supposed to stay together and supposed to not cross paths significantly with people who are outside of that tier one, tier two. They have, I, I did hear from people who are pro, pro scouting of this, who do say it may be more difficult to do so at alternate sites, even though there is a lot of a value to pro scouting at alternate sites. But there's pro scouting, which is watching it, evaluating for trades, evaluating for future free agency, for acquisitions, for all that kind of stuff. And then there's advanced scouting, which is our team is going to play team Y next week, the week after, and we have a scout sitting on them to glean what they can and potentially provide advantages for us, legal, this is not banging on a garbage can, 
This is not in-time, real-time video analysis. This is something that is perfectly legal. Let me make clear if there's a fan out there who thinks what I'm talking about is not. No, this is, this is picking up tendencies. See if he's tipping pitches. See if there's, oh, when they do this, then this happens. All those kind of things. And there are teams who, whether this season had a coronavirus pandemic or not, they weren't going to have people doing that in person. They were going to do that by video. They were going to do that by data and analytics. But there is a multiple GMs, multiple assistant GMs, put it to me this way, that there is a viewpoint that if we're not going to do it, why let other teams do it? Is that what you're hearing also? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly uh, it. And uh, it's really nothing short of kind of dizzying the logic there. Uh, it should be the other way. If other teams are going to do it, why don't we do it? But or, or, or if you believe that there's no real value to be gained by it, that's fine. Yeah. You, you're, you go do what you're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. The battle of ideas may the best ideas win. Sure. It's a simple, and, straightforward approach. And all, I mean, there are, there are teams uh, out there who have seen and do see pro scouting um, and scouting as a whole as an advantage. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you can go look at our Baseball America directory on sale at our website and see which teams do. Uh, there are teams with you know, full sections of pro scouts. There are teams without them. Two different strategies. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But there are teams that, you know, there are certain teams where I feel like if I went to six fields on, uh, during spring training in a day, I would see representatives from that, that team at all six fields somehow. Um, and I'll go back. There are others where if, you, if they had a trade coming, I have literally run into three from the same team on the same backfield because they, I, they believe that running in numbers is advantageous for something like that. Yeah. I think we just said the same thing, but yeah. But I, and on the other end of the spectrum, I've been covering baseball for 15 years now. Uh, and it took till last year for me to meet a scout from a certain organization. Up until those previous 14 years, that was the, I've been to every spring training site and I had never met a scout from this one particular org, which is kind of amazing. Um, but we'll go back to advanced scouting. We'll talk about the little tidbits that people uh, get. I, before we started recording, I mentioned that in, I think it was 2015 when the Royals and the Giants matched up in the World Series, uh, I was down in Arizona for instructs and Mike Morse was getting some at-bats about to come off of um, his injury. And the Royals had a guy on him. Simply, he wasn't paying attention to the other guys in the Giants instructs lineup. He was simply watching Mike Morse's at-bat on the chance that they would face each other in the World Series. And they did. Now, uh, I don't know what, if anything, that, that, that gained. But if it did, you know, then it's worth the money. If, they, if, it, if it led to a ring, it was worth the money. What I'd say about that was advanced scouting. I've had multiple people put it to me. This is a 60-game season. This is unlike, not that every game's not valuable in 162. But when you cut the season to almost just above a third of what it normally would be, every game is more valuable because any loss on the margins, look, you're going to lose, you know, again, to to use the cliche, absolutely, there probably are, if you've got a 60-game season, there are probably 10 to 15 games for every team that no advantage, no disadvantage. You're going to win 10 to 15. You're going to lose 10 to 15. That it was your night or it wasn't your night. 
if you win 11 to two, if you lose 11 to two, no advantages that could be gleaned that day are probably going to be enough. We're going to be sufficient to sway the margin. But there's going to be 10, 15, 20 games over the course of the 60-game season that are going to be close. And in those games, if an advanced scout sitting on it, but there's a difference. <laughs> you see things as an advanced scout in person that you're not going to get with video because the, the camera's just not pointed there. And if, sometimes they're not pointed where the advanced scout wants to look. If you can pick up that a shortstop is tipping pitches because of the way he does things different in a pre-pitch routine after he gets the signal for reading the catcher and understanding who's, what the pitch is. If you can see that an outfielder does something different, if you can see that a pitcher, again, something that, you know, you, all these things, that's the advantage that many teams believe they can get from advanced scouting and that many teams were planning to use extensively this year. And they were also going to, by the way, use the video. It wasn't that they were going to ignore the video and not use video for advanced scouting too, but they were going to do both. Right. And at least early in the season, that has been now wiped away from them being able to do so. Right. And I wrote a piece, I don't know, a week and a half ago about uh, video scouting and its advantages, disadvantages. And it's just like anything. It's part of a, a puzzle. Like, you know, I, scouts are really good, but they're not X-Men. There are things that they cannot see with the naked eye. And there are things that the analytics and video won't tell you uh, just by looking at them. It, it's all gotta be one part to a puzzle or two, multiple pieces to a puzzle. And when you get them all, when you have a good team of analysts and a good team of video people and a good team of scouts, well then your chances of putting a winning product on the field have gone up. And right now you are taking at least one of those pieces out of the puzzle and for reasons it seems like uh, we, we, we outlined those health and safety, which we poked holes in, money, and the really weird and uh, just bizarre idea of limiting competitive advantages in sports, where the whole thing is finding competitive advantages. Uh, it, it, the, the, if I'm not going to do it, and I can block you from doing it too, which by the way, I'll shift it. This is going to be something I'm going to have a piece coming out soon, but Multiple people brought it up to me today also that said, with the Arizona, with the expanded Arizona Fall League, you've had this reporting too, with the expanded Arizona Fall League, which may be the Arizona Fall League, Florida Fall League, and Instructs, which is the player development component that teams might be able to get this year. And let's start with, there may be health and safety reasons that it simply can't happen this year. And, and everyone I talk to about this says, take that part out, not because it's not important, not because they're not caring about it. That's the part that is the unknown right now when we're talking about a couple of months down the road. But multiple people high up in front offices said to me today that they think that there's a chance that the AFL will not happen, not because of health and safety, but because of the financial component, that there are teams who don't want to spend what was estimated to me on the high side at 1.5 million, on the low side at 1 million, to fully hold 
your own Arizona Fall League team and instructs for your players, for players who can't make it, who aren't ready for AFL. Right. And I've heard that too. I heard that from the beginning. There was talk even in the, the bigger dreams of this league that you might have a double A, triple A's team, low A, uh, high A team. And I guess maybe the rookie guys would do some stuff on the backfields you know, to get as many of your guys in there because you don't want you know, a 17-year-old who's getting his first taste of pro ball to be facing a 25-year-old who has you know, time in the big leagues. But kind of jumping off that for a second, even more than the competitive advantage right there and the, 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 the financial component of it, you're not, you're not just not fielding a team. You are agreeing, if you're one of these teams that don't want to do it, to not pay players who have been living on 400 uh, week for the last however many months a pretty good salary now, these are guys who while they're developing uh, in the minor leagues or in the, in the AFL get paid pretty well by comparison so you are taking that money that they should be getting if the AFL and FFL were to exist and you're taking it off their table and you're relegating them to either $400 a week for the rest of the seat well at some point the uh, I'm thinking, thinking this through out loud here at some point uh, the minor league season would end and they wouldn't be paid anyway. So you're taking that money and you're taking it away from them. You are, uh, what's the word, what's the, op the word, uh, the opposite of improve. You're making their lives worse uh, by simply not having this league. And you're not only doing it to your players, you're doing that to, let's say if this is six clubs that don't want to do it, you're doing that to 24 other groups of players. And that's madness to me. Well, to, to circle back, this comes back, the reason I bring this up is this is the same issue. It's one thing to say we as a team don't want to spend the money to pay the coaches, the players, the cost of room and board, all of that for the AFL. That's one thing. If you said, as a club, we opt out of doing so. It's another to say, because we are not willing to do so, we will work to ensure that you, club, who is willing to spend that money, are also not allowed to do so. And that is something that really, in many cases, is much more owner-driven than it is front office-driven. It's really hard to find front offices who don't want to have players develop in the AFL this year. To give an example, just one, there are many. But look at the Tigers. The Tigers have a pitching-heavy farm system with this plethora of pitching prospects, all of whom, almost across the board, were in AA or reached AAA last year. Now, most of those guys admittedly are on the 60-man player pool. Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal, these guys are getting innings of sorts right now. However, if all they get this year is their work with this at the all, you know, for the for this month, for a couple of weeks, and then pitching at the alternate site. Let's say over the July, August, September, that means that they effectively get 50 innings. Okay. If they get 50 innings this year, 
And that's not 50 innings the same as 50 innings in AAA this year to really develop. If they get those 50 innings, you're not really realistically confident counting on those pitchers, probably. I'm making a generalization. Probably being willing to count on those guys full season at the major league level next year. 50 innings this year, okay, maybe you can push them to 100 next year. If you have the AFL and you said that they go July, August, September, and then you add another 40 innings or so, because by the way, do remember, this is going to be, we're talking about a scenario where each team gets their own club. So let's say you get to, instead of 50 innings, they get to 90. That's the difference next year. Very well, that's the difference of being confident you know what? We're not going to go out and sign a veteran to fill that fifth, fifth rotation spot. We are confident between these pitching prospects that we will have that covered. Which, by the way, just take a look at what Felix Hernandez's contract was this year as a minor league signee with an invite to major league spring training. The total cost of signing a like number six, number seven veteran starter on the free agent market is as much, if not more, than the cost of fielding a team in the AFL this year. And the, the baffling part of all this is what you're saying is it's one thing to say, as a club, we don't want to do it. But really, the subtext of it is, as a club, we don't want to do it. And we don't want to get the blowback of being the team that's too cheap to do so which shows that we're not trying to be competitive and look bad compared to other teams. And, well, I mean, we've seen this over and over because when you mentioned about the per diem, what we're seeing, the reason that these per diems keep getting stretched out at the end of every month is kind of, it's, it's basically been the battle of peer pressure, which is teams don't want to pay these per diems in many cases. But if everyone else is going to do it, it looks too bad and it's too morale-sapping to be the one team who's the holdout or the two teams who were the holdout, which we saw happen with the A's and the Nationals. The A's, when they were saying they weren't going to play the per diem to their minor league players, and the Nationals, when they said, we're going to cut the per diem, and then after their major league players said, we'll cover the difference, then they came back and said, we're going to pay the per diem. The A's came back and said, you have any mistake, we're going to pay the per diem. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here, which is teams are trying to potentially prevent other teams from doing things for their competitive advantage because they don't want to look bad by being the team that doesn't do so. Fair? You hit, you hit the nail on the head. And uh, I had a couple things I wanted to respond to, but you know, you've got uh, some of these guys who aren't, who just you know, at 60 players on the player pool. Some of there are going to be some talented guys left out of the player pool. Adam Kloffenstein, the number 10 prospect in the Blue Jays system, is pitching this year in the Constellation League in Texas. Uh, David Hamilton, the Brewers eighth rounder from last year. Who, by the way, needs innings. Yeah, needs innings because he's at bats because he missed well, all of last year with a pretty significant injury. Yes, that was what I was going to say. Was, uh, his first professional at bat is going to be for whichever team he is on in that league. There are multiple brewers in those leagues. Josh Bro from the Yankees, who was a high pick a couple of years ago, is in that league. Um, 
Trey Cruz, the Tigers' third rounder from this past June, is in that league. You don't think there might be better places for them to do their development than, you know, an indie ball league? I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. They're going to get to face some very interesting, uh, talented groups of guys. But there are other places, too. Uh, Somerset, New Jersey, I believe, starts tomorrow night. Uh, this Nashville kind of free agent uh, Which, by the way, thing the, the, still has to get off the ground because of the, the health situation there. And it's going to be delayed, mm-hmm. which, which – is not ideal from the standpoint if you're a player set to go in that league, that's going to be, uh, unfortunately, that means that you're, you know, that if there is a need in the first two weeks of the season, you're not going to be able to demonstrate that you're ready to fill it. And, you know, I was also going to kind of go to the idea that, so a guy like uh, an Adam Klopfenstein or somebody else who's not on uh, the player pool is going to get, let's say, 50 innings this year. Well, that restricts his innings next year. Mm-hmm. And it, he should have gotten way more innings last year. He got his short season experience in 2019 when he was in the Northwest League. And I don't know what he got in extended spring, but, you know, you, you progress up with these innings. At some point, you are going to have a, the reins taken off and you're going to pitch a, bit, a full season. Now that gets stunted because he's only pitching so many innings this year. And you almost have to reset that count, uh, depending on what he's done at home in Texas and how the Blue Jays farm people want to count that. It's going to stunt development for a lot of people. And if they don't have this fall, these fall leagues for petty money reasons, and you're stunting the development of 20-something other orgs, uh, that's just uh, – I, I can't wrap my mind around it. It's also the same thread we've discussed that's kind of running through the idea of minor league contraction. There are teams out there with you know, multiple complex league clubs and uh, m- multiple rookie-level clubs in – Appalachian and the New York Penn League, that's the short season on a rookie level, but you get what I mean. And there are others with fewer than that. And part of the reason we're, you know, rearranging the minor leagues makes sense. It's geographical stuff. But part of that is this competitive advantage thing where you don't want, I keep saying it, you don't want to increase your own advantage. You want to decrease somebody else's. You, you want to level the playing field, not by raising the playing field you want to lower it and uh, it's it's a really insidious kind of theme that's going through baseball right now that really just I, I struggle to wrap my head around it but I have to well, constantly because it's my job again oh, and also and also I want one more thing we talked about peer pressure here and that it, it helped the A's and uh, another uh, the other club uh, pay their guys well it hasn't done that with the groups that laid off their pro scouts. There are at least two clubs that I can think out there whose pro scouts are still on furloughs. Some have traded, uh, I'll name names because you know, they're, they're doing good things. The Twins, the Padres, they've treated their pro scouts and the Rays have treated their pro scouts really nicely. Uh, I don't think they're- And there are other teams too. And there are other two, and I'm, you know- no, I don't want to make it sound like but those were the only, yeah. No, no, just, but you know, there's been plenty written about the Marlins and the Angels having furloughed their pro staffs. Uh, they haven't reversed those courses, and those, those, both those teams have groups of very talented pro, st- uh, pro scouts with years and years of, of wisdom uh, among them. The Angels in particular have, uh, if nothing else, their group of pro scouts could win the pro scout softball game because they've got some very recent major leaguers on their staff. Uh, pro guys. Anyway, 
those guys haven't been rehired. And if you were to allow pro scouting in the MLB parks right now, they might have been rehired, or at least they'd have a better chance because they'd have something to do. But instead, uh, you're going to have nobody in there uh, at all for however long it on the uh, until if and when MLB decides to change its mind, which I don't foresee happening. That was the next thing I was going to say. I was going to ask is that the sense we got today doesn't mean it's not possible, but there's not a whole lot of optimism from pro scouts. This decision was announced as something that could be looked at again. Let basically the message was let's kick the can down the road. Let's see. Let's get the season started, which by the way, while we're recording this podcast, it looks like the Nationals may be playing in Fredericksburg. The Blue Jays have been approved to play in Toronto, but the Nationals, because of more strict, Washington Post is reporting, because of the strictness of the quarantine rules, if you are exposed to coronavirus in D.C., they are looking at moving their games to Fredericksburg. Because... You might have Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. Not Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. Yes, Garrett Cole versus Max yeah. Scherzer. To open, I, I don't know why I thought they were both on the same team for a second. To open a brand new ballpark that, to my knowledge, doesn't even have a name yet at Fre- in Fredericksburg. Yes. That is the most insane sentence I've ever heard, and I'm me. No, 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 no. In 2020, that there are more insane sentences out there. But, but in my opinion, at least. But what I was going to say is, is that, you know, probably get, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that understandably, understandably with all this are difficult. We're not, we're not denying that. But the sense that pro scouts have is, yes, this is being kicked down the road, but they are very skeptical that anything is going to change. I think we're using the wrong metaphor. It's not a can that's being kicked down the road. It's uh, something that's being shoved under the bed and hope you won't remember it later. It's once these games start and you do see Scherzer versus Cole and, you know, all these, guys, all these stars on the field, people are going to start writing about those games and not about who's not there. And people are going to not uh, care about this anymore. And from my Twitter mentions this morning, people already don't care about it. Uh, you're going to hope uh, the media at large forgets about it and you don't have to worry about it until next year. Well, and, we will and, say this. We can make one promise at Baseball America. We will not forget about this. No. This, we, will, I mean, we will continue writing about this. As I'm sure you can tell by the tone of my voice, uh, we were not going to forget about this anytime soon. Um, scouts are, we, we throw this, this term around too often, they are the backbone of this industry. Um, they, you know, we'll talk about trades. You know, obviously, there's going to be a trade deadline this year, but there have been some pretty darn good trades in the past that have been executed almost solely, uh, especially in past years because a scout knows what he's looking at and knows the kind of recommendation to make. There, you know, I, I'll still go back to the one, I, it boggles my mind that Fernando Tatis was acquired based on two workouts uh, on, a, on a backfield. Not a game, no, no, intro, no, uh, no opposition was playing them, just two backfields and the guy who made the recommendation saw those tools and said, this is the one. And this is the same guy who recommended Chris Paddock and the same guy who recommended Luis Castillo 
in a trade that ultimately got scuttled. But that's a guy who's going to be on the When you say ultimately got scuttled, that literally was ha- – it happened and then had to be pulled back because of uh, injury, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no, I, I – when he told me this, I was like, when was Ho- – when was Luis Castillo a Padre? Uh, but, yeah, I forgot about that trade. But, anyway, you recommend those three guys. And, you know, I, I think those three guys have had some success in the big leagues. This is the kind of guy that's on the bench this summer for – health and which is a good reason i guess if it didn't have so many holes in it but other than that it's just pettiness and uh miserliness that's kind of where we stand on this so we did want to cover it um we'll have more up at baseballamerica.com you know we do appreciate you reading you know we have a lot coming up we have international scouting reports uh international projections and for signings that ben badler's done this week you can check out at baseballamerica.com we thank you as we always do our subscribers We've also the got reason, some mid-season top 30s coming. Coming. Yes. Yeah. Don't remind me. Don't remind me. Yeah, I'm in got a lot of work to do. Got a lot of work to do. And then everything keeps happening. Like, got nothing done on that today because we ended up spending all day working on this. But that's good. That's, you know, we want to cover the stuff that's important. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll plug the upcoming mag. I mean, the upcoming mag, we obviously haven't had any baseball for a while. But it doesn't mean there's not stuff to talk about. Um, we've got a celebration of the fastball. I wrote about the... Uh, the north-south four-seam uh, four up, uh, curveball down kind of philosophy. JJ wrote about, can we see a guy throwing 110 or something in the future? Uh, we got a little glossary in there of ride, cut, spin axis, uh, all sorts of good. You know, I, I can think off the top of my head of five different fastballs, so it's not just the same thing. You, know, you get your one-seamer, your two-seamer, your cutter, your splitter, and your, I believe, fork ball is in there. There's another one I'm missing. Um, but you know, it's a celebration of all things fastball, which is you know, still the, the best pitch in the game. Um, there's all, there's all, all sorts of other stuff in there. Uh, early draft preview is in there. Uh, we're going to have a photo essay from the backfields in Florida and Arizona. You know, uh, I think we've done a really, really good job uh, not uh, going to waste uh, during these last four months. And I, I don't think we're going to be doing so anytime soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, thank you to our subscribers. If you want to join us, just check us out at baseballamerica.com. You can subscribe now. And uh, we will be back with another Baseball America podcast in the not too distant future. So thank you for the download. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.